0: It's time for news with my son, and on the phone, the boss of this show, calling in from the wet and stormy Oregon coast, Jefferson Smith, how are you, my boy?
1: Hey, Pop. I think anybody who listens to this program on a regular basis understands that being a boss of this show is a significant overstatement of the dynamic of our conversations. But it is, nonetheless, marvelous to hear your voice. And I am holding up. I'm holding up.
0: So I will turn the baton over to you, and you can invite me to participate.
1: (laughs) This is a show. This is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout-out?
0: I have serious shout-out inflation. I have four shout-outs. First, first, I've got a shout-out for Barack Obama. And I'm shouting out for two reasons. First, because I just read over the weekend his article in the November 2nd New Yorker describing the battle for the ACA. And the contrast between what he revealed went on when he was in the Oval Office compared to the current Twitter master and then last night Obama was on 60 Minutes and talking about his new book, his new memoir, A Promised Land, but, but also talking about the presidency. We were just so lucky to have him and it's the contrast with what we have today. Second, I want to shout out for New Zealand, the voters of New Zealand, the, the premier of New Zealand, the legislature museum, which is really a beacon of hope to the world. One example, the prime minister has appointed a Maori woman, foreign minister, Namora Mahutas, Third, I want to shout out for the Harbor View Medical Center, which took in Michael Krapinski, who went 45 minutes without a heartbeat and not only saved his life, apparently saved his, his ability to function well. Absolutely amazing. And finally, I want to shout out for Chris Nickick, a down's syndrome person who completed the panama city florida ironman first down's person to ever do that congratulations chris
1: what are the news items you want to get to first
0: well i think we ought to start with covid and i'm kind of thinking we should always start with covid because one of the f- one of the dangers about covid is that it is because it is always with us we will start to take it for granted as if we didn't need to, to be on, the, on, the, on guard against it, particularly because with DDT saying there's nothing to talk about but the vaccine, and I'm going to talk about his appearance in the Rose Garden the other day on that, that we think the vaccine is all. And as Dr. Fauci made very clear over the weekend we must not let the vax the vax hope replace sound behavior we still have to wear masks and also I want to remind if any of you are eligible for the $1200 stimulus and have not received it because you have not applied the deadline is saturday night at midnight you have to go to the irs Website and click on non filers, enter here and enter it so you get your stimulus. But talking about COVID, DDT emerged from his cave to have a public appearance, which turned out to be it was, it was billed as a press conference. It was not a press conference, it was a press opportunity for the vice president and Mr. Azar to slaver themselves about DDT to, oh, it's just, I don't know how those guys can live with themselves. There was no mention, however, it was all about the vaccine. There was no mention about the fact that there's something like 40 positives in the White House staff that there are over 30 Secret Service guys who have contracted it and over 100 more who are in quarantine because they've been exposed to it. I think we just have to maintain our vigilance and awareness over COVID. The, uh, in just six days, the country added another million cases. Wow. Six days, thirty cases. The uh, oh, what more? What more deaths? High. There, one of the good things about it, I guess, for folk, those of us who, to our knowledge, do not have underlying health conditions, is that the ratio, the correlation between deaths and underlying conditions, is very high. In the last few days two Oregon deaths, both of whom had underlying conditions. But one of the big things, Oregon needs more tests. Actually, the country needs more tests. And how we're going to get more tests, I still have not been able to get tested to see if I have antibodies because I might have had it back in early in early March. The, a, a marine study tells us, unfortunately that the symptom tests most of the symptom tests do not necessarily reveal whether or not one has the virus that the only sure test is the actual test so that's kind of disappointing so that uh, just because somebody takes your temperature before you walk in doesn't necessarily mean that you are clean the uh, Anything else you want to talk about the virus? Oh, we, we the yeah. big the big thing we should talk about is the Oregon lockdown. Whoa, no parties of more than six people, folks. If you're planning on having a family Thanksgiving, six is the max, and there's a potential 30 day in jail or $1,250 fine. And Washington at midnight tonight starts their own lockdown. Pretty serious stuff. Oregon and Washington have decided that they really are going to try to flatten the curve again. Any thoughts?
1: Yeah. the do want to just cover those numbers again. On Friday, over 177,000 people tested positive around the country. We've got 11 million total positive tests now. 246,000 people have died in the United States alone. Texas, the first state to have a million confirmed cases. Uh, On Saturday, 1,329 people died. Uh, The uh, Atul Gawande, a member of President-elect Joe Biden's Coronavirus Task Force said that a nationwide shutdown might in fact be necessary. Says that a targeted measure like mask wearing and increased testing could slow the spread say statewide local jurisdictions have implemented their own stay at home orders, included, as you said, pop in Oregon. Uh, We had yesterday a, or actually, I guess it happened on Saturday. Did you see what Tootie Smith, did you see what Tootie Smith posted on, you know, you might explain who Tootie Smith is. Did you see what she posted on Facebook?
0: I did not see why she posted, but I can imagine that it probably was not supportive of wearing masks.
1: No, she said that she was going to, she said, let me find the exact post. She said she's going to celebrate Thanksgiving with as many friends and family as she can. And the, and, and then people, every, everybody sort of piled on uh, to, not everybody, but she had over a thousand comments by Saturday, by Sunday afternoon uh, and uh, ranging from, yes, yeah, so my family will celebrate Thanksgiving dinner with as many friends and family as I can. Uh, governor, as I can find, as I can find, Governor Brown is wrong to order otherwise. Uh, the, and then comments came back saying, thank you for standing up against this dictator we unfortunately call our governor, wrote one supporter. Uh, but there are, of course, others. Here was one that stuck out. I'm a nurse. Your ignorance in the face of a global pandemic is heartbreaking. You would put your family, friends, community health providers, and first responders in harm's way. Who raised you? Wolves? This my, this really upset Kate. This really upset my wife yesterday, and because she works at OHSU, and the uh, that that the selfishness and cruelty that is masquerading as freedom, uh, that is masquerading as 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 resisting tyranny somehow, is uh, is palpable, and particularly for those first responders. You already have ninety three percent. Of ICU beds at capacity uh, right now. Okay, like we are, we are not, we are not. Uh, hospitals are not overfilled right now, but there is. But if we keep at this trajectory, we're going to get that way. And for the head of the county commission in Clackamas County, Clackamas County by the way just lost its uh, just lost its Democratic majority, uh, it's now Clackamas County's gone back having a Republican majority on its county commission. Uh, it is uh, that was pretty disheartening, but I appreciate your comment, Dad. Your call for eternal vigilance, or at least for vigilance lasting right now, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of us have been. I think it showed in the poll. I think it re- showed in the poll. The reason I think it showed in the polls because Donald Trump said it, and he has been really watchful of opinion research. Uh, and I, I think one of the undertold told stories the last four years was how plugged in to opinion research that Donald Trump was, particularly opinion research. Within his Republican base, he didn't just invent that stuff. He didn't just go by spidey sense. He had a knack, you know. He had a, he had a spidey sense for it, uh, but he also really tracked polls. And when he said, oh, "I think people are bored of the coronavirus," he was going based on numbers. People are bored of it. Uh, who wants who wants to not be able to go to restaurants? Who wants restaurants to shut down? Uh, what what should of course be happening in Europe? They are paying restaurants to be closed, and that's what should be happening in this country. Is the restaurateurs and this is this happened for music for performance venues. Uh, they got a statewide uh, They got a statewide bailout, but there should be federal support for restaurants right now to stay closed. Then we wouldn't have lost Pop Pock, and we wouldn't have lost the, uh, the cheese bar, and wouldn't have lost some just marvelous Portland restaurants and Oregon restaurants that haven't been able to weather this storm. Bridges, uh, Bridges yeah, just closed. Car. Say again?
0: Bridges just closed, the restaurant, wonderful restaurant, Bridges yeah. just closed.
1: Biden's advisors are gonna meet with vaccine firms in the coming weeks. The announcement comes as, again, as we're getting just about 1 million cases every week. Uh, Among the companies the advisors will meet with are Pfizer. They say that they have data that indicates a 90% effectiveness rate. Uh, They'll also be looking at a comprehensive plan. Ron Klain, we talked about last week, Biden's named chief of staff said it's great to have a vaccine. Vaccines don't save lives. Vaccinations save lives. That means you're going to have to get the vaccine into people's arms all over the country. It is a giant logistical project. I appreciate that clarity of communication. Uh, Dr. Fauci, go ahead.
0: and, And how this underlines, how this underlines the absolute perfidy, the evil, of what DDT is doing in refusing to allow the transition process to take effect so that Fauci has said he has been ordered not to accept communications or to offer communications with the Biden transition team when the the politicization of this, which is demonstrated by Tootie Smith. The, the, these hypocrites who said, oh, you mustn't politicize COVID when that is all they have done, and who they, they love to call themselves patriots, patriots that are willing to thumb their nose at science and threaten to kill, to murder their fellow citizens because they want to make a political statement, is just appalling.
1: So, uh, Dad, one of the questions that was asked, you know, people are pretty good at keeping the masks on here in Portland, uh, and uh, and we've got a lot of people who are privileged enough to work from home. We're still seeing the virus spread, and clearly social gatherings are the main cause. Uh, why do you think might uh, we have an we have an understanding of why uh, or at least we've discussed our own speculation or, and we've heard the president make his own arguments current president outgoing president uh, make his own proclamations about why he is not enforced uh, a, a nationwide order around uh, nationwide nationwide lockdown why do you think biden's task force might not Take such a step. What do you think is in his way, either in terms of governors, in terms of people acting, in terms of a, a renewal or sort of a, a Tea Party 2.0? What do you think are the that they're considering within the uh, the uh, Biden transition team? Well,
0: I don't pretend to be smart enough to know what they are considering, but one of the things I think they sh- must be considering is the risk that if they did that. Some of these militias, which are proliferating around the country, demonstrated most in Michigan right now, but all over, that militias would resort to violence and that there there would actually be violence about it because of the, the hokum, starting with the president on down about about masking, about a lot of people still believe that it's a, that the COVID is all a hoax. Uh, Others believe that it was something that was started by liberals to try to engender a takeover of the government. And that's something they, they should be aware of the real danger.
1: Oregon is among a handful of the states. Well, yeah, I hadn't thought specifically of militias with uh, and violence, but I do think that there is. It, it is so toxic. It's such a mistake that this has become uh, viewed as an ideological issue. And again, I will say that selfishness and cruelty masquerading as freedom is thin rule for a political movement that claims any path to virtue. Uh, but let me ask this. Oregon is among a handful of states who uh, want to independently va- review vaccine data before administering it to residents. Uh, it, you think there's any foundation to the fear that the vaccine has been rushed?
0: I'm sure that there is the possibility, but the fact that Pfizer did the research without being paid, knowing, of course, that if they were successful, they would be paid handsomely for the distribution of it, so it was a, a, good, a good bet. But, but I have a hard time thinking that, that the scientists there would cook the books. Uh, 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 and maybe maybe that's undue faith in Big Pharma, which has not done a great deal in the last decade or so. Yeah,
1: I, I don't I don't think. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think the risks of them cooking the books are low. The tort law is still a thing. The mass, the class action that would result from that uh, would would be enormous, and the and the impact of I's reputation would also be enormous. The risk there could be is that uh, normally in a phase two trial. You you go through three phases of clinical trial, right? To to release it, sometimes a fourth phase for to get longitudinal results. But the fourth phase is post is a post market study. So the uh, so the the first phase is just to is just to um, get basic uh, basic safety data, usually among say usually among healthy patients. Phase two is where you I shouldn't say patients, I should say participants because they're not yet patients. Uh, Phase two is when you get uh, you get more uh, safety, uh, more safety data, but also really look at effectiveness on, uh, effectiveness on patients. And then you do a phase three trial and a phase three trial and each one of these things, you know, take, can take a year. And in a phase three trial, you get a uh, uh, phase three trial, you get longer term information and the uh, and you do it on a bigger cohort now they've rushed these things and that has met but but not with bad data in fact one of the things that people should have some confidence about the uh, the covid studies they've had multiples of the participants, right? So instead of having, you know, 400 or even 5,000, they've had studies with 60,000 people. They've been enormous studies, and the good news is that it will allow us to see interactions with lots more health conditions, interactions with lots more medications, the kind of stuff you might have to wait for, you know, a lot of longitudinal data. So I actually think, uh, as long as it's not, like, I would have had some doubt like, like Putin's vaccine makes me nervous. Particularly, like somebody,
0: particularly when Russia, when Russia is reporting a huge spike in cases, their vaccine doesn't yeah. appear to be working.
1: Yeah, and 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 I think it, we did get to a position, and this was the downside of the president's activities, the outgoing president's activities over the last four years, is that the is I think the trust was so low that I would have had some doubt about a vaccine had he announced it. Uh, but Pfizer announcing, announcing it independently, announcing it after the election to make clear that it was not something. And I think that's related, right? They didn't rush it because they didn't want anybody to think that it was politically motivated and and not seeming that it has any, uh, you know, any motivation to sway the election. My, uh, the, the only risk I could see is that there is some sort of longitudinal issue, something that happens over a long time. But with the vaccine, you don't take it every week. You don't take it every day. You don't take it every month. So less worried about longitudinal problems. So g- roughly speaking, I, I think that uh, the biggest fear I have about the vaccine is that people won't take it. Biggest fear I have about the vaccine is that it doesn't get sufficient uh, doesn't get sufficient distribution. I guess my biggest fear would be fear itself. Dad, four astronauts successfully launched into orbit on Sunday. Heading for the International Space Station, they were aboard the SpaceX Capsule Resilience. Maya Copkins, Shannon Walker, Victor Glover, and Japan's Soichi Noguchi. They are expected to dock at the International Space Station later today. They will remain in orbit for just a little over a day, 27.5 hours. Well, I don't understand exactly necessarily how a day works in space. They'll dock at <laughs> the station and stay there for six months. SpaceX, of course, is Elon Musk's company. They teamed up with NASA, and now and uh, and ended the company's reliance on Russia spacecraft. Uh, the mission is part of a regularly scheduled trip to take four members on a six-month stay at the International Space Station. Yet, you know, I, I know you and I have offered thoughts about privatized space travel. Again, do you want to repeat, or do you have any new ones?
0: I I think that. What's what is actually emerging the, the cooperation between the government and private industry in this is 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 really very heartening very, very heartening that uh, what what they're doing and of course the technology that has allowed SpaceX to figure out how to recapture their rockets is just okay astounding
1: I have clarified my view I, I, I could ima- imagine it could it would still develop but I've clarified my view so I and and here's and first I'll give you I'll give you the thesis the antithesis and then the synthesis in true Hegelian form or at least bastardized Hegelian form so the so my initial thought was privatized space makes me really nervous. Okay, I get worried when, uh, particularly with the vast growth in wealth disparities and in power disparities, if uh, that wealth can then be used to claim additional, uh, additional untrodden territory, additional power. Uh, the, the counter is that as with air travel, what made air travel accessible to people was competition in the private market, which drove down the price. And if you have just if you have multiple participants in the thing, and of course, it'll still be, you know, it ought to be a regulated market. I'll get more to that in a second. But the uh, but you could actually get it where it starts bringing the price down so that more people. So it won't just be, you know, Elon Musk who can go to space. And that would be pretty cool. So that's and here's where I here's where I land. So first, and and I think it's sort of my economic view to some degree. Is that first of all, it should be highly regulated. And second of all, there should be a, uh, there should maintain a significant federal presence. It should not be turned entirely over to, it should not be entirely turned over either the military, the combination of the military and the private sector. There should be a domestic, uh, excuse me, a, a, a governmental and science based, uh, federally funded, element in space and then here's the other thing is be careful about territory claiming the thing i would i would push back against is as uh, for instance if you have privatized space stations i'd rather have those be uh, public space stations public territory public land in space place that everybody has access to in space but then allow for and even encourage uh, private ships that can go various places a little bit like national parks Right? So you don't give everybody a government car to drive around Yosemite, but you also don't let the Hyatt Hotel buy all of Yosemite. That's how I feel. I'm clarifying. I'm still working on it, but I'm clarifying my views about space. There you go, Dad. I would totally
0: agree with that. That It is important for there to be a continued cooperation a con- and, and a very careful prevention of the private company suddenly declaring a monopoly and squeezing, squeezing out everybody else, very, very, very important. But you, you mention the analogy of air travel. Commercial air travel would not have ever taken place in the United States had it not been for the federal government and its subsidy through the post office. It was, it was carrying the mail that made it possible for commercial air travel to come into existence in this country.
1: Yeah, and this is the, the, the part of the, uh, to me, the big lie of the Soviet Union, well, among the big lies, was that uh, one centrally controlled entity could solve all, uh, could solve all problems. That's not. I think that. I think that was the, the the big lie of the Koch brothers is that, or the big lie of of too much of the you know, sort of one sector of one strain of argument in the latter part of the 20th century, is that uh, is that there is no me no necessary role for uh, collective action, no necessary role for the uh, for the government, and the and and if you look at the internet, if you look at as you said that if you look at air travel you look at agriculture that that so much of the greatest innovation that has happened so much hey if we're looking at if we're looking at basic research in in things like vaccines uh that so much of what facilitates the uh, facilitates innovation and a robust private market is in fact uh collective action is in fact the action of government i know that's Pretty broad, big picture, sort of general stuff. But I think at this point in the movie in this country, we've got to return to some of those fundamentals, reestablish consensus, reestablish a supermajority view of a balanced view of government, a balanced view of an economy that has a robust place for uh, a robust place for uh, private markets and a, 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 a refurbished uh, uh, robust place for democracy and for coordinated activity people working together the uh, getting into some local news uh, police bureau audit team says the portland police used force over 2300 times in the first three months of the 2020 protests i don't know if you caught this delta dab but between the four years of january 2016 and january 2020 there are 778 uses of force in response to protests in the one quarter between April 1st to June 30th. So, comparing four years with 778 to those three months, in those three months, 2,378. Uh, that was, of course, the period that had the largest attendance of protesters gathering downtown outside of the Justice Center. Uh, the Portland Police Bureau spokesperson said that the volume of the reports meant the system couldn't accurately process all of them. So, it probably means that that's, in fact, a little bit underreported. Of course, the four years previous might be underreported also. numbers include nine, just under 1,976 firings of various types of less lethal munitions, uh, 97 reported baton attacks, just under 100, uh, 147 tackles to the ground, and 203 uses of CS gas. So if you're looking at round numbers, a 1,000 times they use less lethal munitions, 100 <laughs> baton attacks, 150 tackles to the ground, and 200 uses of CS gas. Uh, during that same time period, the police made 327 arrests. Uh, now, protest-related arrests have gone to 1,026. Uh, I, I, I'm not looking for any further editorial comment on the on the protest, Dad. Uh, you might have some. I Anyhow, would any-
0: just just before the break, we were talking about government, private, and private cooperation, and I was going to mention that it has to come all the way down. And, and you mentioned agriculture. Agriculture is a great example of how important that cooperation has been right down to the county agents. And people in Multnomah County probably don't even know what a county agent is. But in in rural America, there are county agents that are paid in part by federal money that provide expertise to local farmers. Really important. And here is an example that just cries out, what we're talking about right now, force, but cries out for government private cooperation, where there's got to be a joining, a joining of the vast majority of folks who marched because of George Floyd and who marched because of Brianna and who marched because of systemic racism in this country, who marched peacefully and the police who legitimately want to maintain order and really do are necessary to try to keep windows from being broken and fires from being started and vandalism from being committed to develop cooperation so that the marchers and the police are on the same side fostering legitimate protest and minimizing or erasing vandalism.
1: We're moving on to. We've talked about the coronavirus data.
0: Could uh, we go to how, yeah. how? Could we go to some international stuff? I, I've been not mentioning. and There's international. I, I'll laundry list it if you like. So then we can go on with more depth to elections because there's still a lot to talk about. Fire away. International. More than 900 lives have been lost of refugees trying to get across the Mediterranean from North Africa into Europe. Pretty, pretty scary. 16 nations have just signed a trade deal with China, which underlines the inability of the Obama administration to get the trade deal that it engineered, passed by the Senate, so it never went into effect. Serious political crisis in Peru. In Peru, the legislature, by simple vote, not having to go through an impeachment procedure, but simple vote can remove the president. And they did that. They removed Martin Vizcarra and appointed Manuel Manuel Marino. Manuel Marino lasted six days before public protest caused him to step down. So they, right now, are without a president. ETA, the Hurricane ETA was a disaster for Honduras and Nicaragua. And now IOTA, in the next 24 to 48 hours, threatens to repeat the process. You You just have to weep for what those folks are putting up with. By the way, if this keeps up, we're all gonna learn the Greek alphabet. And uh, you might mention that between Eta and Iota is Theta. And Theta turned out was a was a storm that really didn't develop. And Manila, Manila, the Philippines, got the third typhoon. Vamco, just decimating, just awful. Brazil local elections, encouraging. They proved to be a disaster for Bolsonaro and his minions. One example: There is a guy who put on the ballot Donald Trump in his name. Got 007 percent of the vote in the local local election. Western Sahara and Mar- Morocco are apparently going to war. Holy cow! That's just what we need: is one more war. And last, oh no, the uh, Russians are muscle, flexing their muscles off Alaska. Lots of provocative activity with Russian bombers coming right to the margin with Russian warships telling American fisher, fishermen, fisherwomen to get out of international waters to which they have a right to fix. Seriously, something to look at. And the EU, the European Union, is suing Amazon, claiming they are violating antitrust. That's something to keep our eye on. Those are things that you might want to make sure that Tim Markroff addresses, or some of them, when he comes on in 35 minutes.
1: Anything you want to talk about?
0: Well, that's my long list of internet, but should should we talk about election news? Sure. A place to start might be what's happening with all of the cases that DDT is filing and has filed and may yet file. Perhaps very, very significant, and I was going to use that as a straw in the wind, but I think I'll just mention it here. Two very big, very flossy, very uh, well known law firms have pulled out. Of representing DDT's campaign anymore, uh, partly I suspect because the Lincoln Project went after him, but Jones Day and Porter Wright both decided that they were not willing to carry the water in the cases. And to, to give you an idea of the ridiculousness of these cases, in Michigan there were suits alleging impropriety that both got tossed out. One, that the only evidence they had was a sticky note, unsigned, claiming that the writer of the sticky note had overheard bad counting. They couldn't produce the witness. The judge didn't have much trouble tossing that one. The uh, Also, the case tossed because the issue was, was just moot. Allegation of backdated debt ballots. They had no evidence. Claim of Republican ballots given to Democrats. GOP clerk said that was an isolated, a Republican clerk said that was an isolated arrow, which we re- rectified immediately. The claim is false. In Georgia, somebody said, I might have seen ballots intermingled. The data backdated and you know, intermingled, again, could not produce any evidence. In Arizona, they were claiming that the use of Sharpies to mark ballots would, because of bleeding, potentially make them false. And they point out that Sharpies, as a matter of fact, were the very best way to mark ballot. In Nevada the they claim that there were thousands that voted illegally. It turns out that those illegal voters were mostly members of the armed services and their spouses, all of whom under Naval law could quite legally vote. It just the, it, it is embarrassing, embarrassing what uh, is happening to all these cases that are filed, but it but it's also just so bad because it shows that DDT doesn't care squat, doesn't care squat about the United States of America, about the health of the government, about the ability of the government to address the needs of the American people. All he cares about is his reputation, and it is just simply awful, and how we're going to help Seventy million people recognize that over the next several years is one of the greatest challenges this country has ever faced.
1: Hmm. Yeah, should we so, talk? So, Dad, anything, 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 you want to talk about? Anything you want to have a back and forth on? Anything? Well, you, uh,
0: any, uh, any yeah, there's you a lot of elections Vietnam, stuff. Some some really really interesting things in Oregon. The, the Oregonian this morning has a, a long article about the remarkable, remarkable diversification at local level in, in our elections, where, where Washington County elected Nafisa Faye, a Somali Muslim, a, a woman who came as a child from Somalia and who is a Muslim, to the county commission. Ariana Hartman to the Gladstone City Council David Imami to the Happy Valley City Council goes on and on just a remarkable number of people of color people of who identify as as gay or as LGBTQ uh, really it, it warms the cockles of my heart I will confess to see are doing that. Our own Nick Blosser has jumped ship from the governor's office to join the transition team for Biden, which means he almost certainly is going to be in line for a federal job come January 20th or shortly thereafter because you don't give up a secure, well paying, and hopefully fun or at least influential position for a job that's only going to last for eight weeks or so the uh, c- c- CEOs of big companies had a zoom meeting to talk about the election talk about the transition to talk about what they might want need to do if ddt continues to hold out what to, what, what are your thoughts and your observations on what's happening with the transition?
1: The, uh, I, I, I think we, I mean, it's, I don't know that I have anything novel. The, uh, clearly the presidential administration, current presidential administration is wanting to uh, delegitimize the incoming uh, administration. The incoming administration will be ready anyway uh, I think there will be. Uh, it would be good if, uh, by the end of this month, uh, the calls for recounts and the the claims of the election not being over, if that were quelled, so there could be a full December of of clear sharing of information. It will start making me a little more nervous if that doesn't happen in December. But the good news is, and I don't remember if I said this on the air before, that when, uh, when Clinton was elected, there weren't any, when Bill Clinton was elected, there hadn't been a Democratic administration since Carter. And prior to that, it had been a really long time since there'd been a Democratic administration. And that means there hadn't been a lot of the sort of big D Democratic apparatus that was close to power, uh, and that was, you know, people who had, had current relationships and current, you know, very recent experience uh, in managing the levers of the federal government. The good news is, and when, and in fact, when Obama came in, he had to rely largely on Clinton people uh, when he first came in. Rahm Emanuel was the chief of staff, perhaps most famously, uh, And that, but eventually, by the time Obama's, uh, by the time Obama got well into his second term Obama had Obama people and Obama people ran the government there has now been, because that we have had uh, both eight years of Clinton and eight years of Barack Obama and because Joe Biden has his own decades of public service, you now do have a large swath you do have a big D democratic apparatus that understand the government understands how to run the government has an idea of who the people are that could be hired has an idea of who will do well in the various positions that need to be filled. Uh, and it won't. And I actually think the transition can be smooth, even in the, uh, even in the context of Donald Trump trying to play defense on it, the Republican apparatus trying to play defense on it. Uh, the example I've given to the Obama administration is I likened it to the Woodrow Wilson administration. I don't mean that in terms of racism and I don't mean that in, in, in terms of so many other ways. but, it, but when Woodrow Wilson was elected, the uh, many of the, many of the Progressive era reforms, the Progressive Party, Reforms that were proposed in the Progressive Party platform that Teddy Roosevelt took on, and then when he was kicked to the curb by the Republican establishment, uh, that progressive energy moved to the Democratic Party even before the Nixon Southern Strategy. But that was sort of the early stages of the realignment of the parties. The uh, when Wilson came aboard, there wasn't you know he didn't have sort of the apparatus to do all the stuff that he would have wanted to do, uh, including the progressive stuff. When, uh, when Franklin Roosevelt was elected though, you'd had already, you had a lot of these folks, a lot of these people who were, you know, in the, in the elder Roosevelt administration, you had people who were, you know, kind of in the progressive movements in, uh, and governments in New York city and elsewhere. Uh, and of course the, the younger Roosevelt would have been governor of New York state. Uh, and you had old Wilson people uh, that could be the dollar a day men. And yes, they were men, but you could, that could be the people that plugged in to the FDR, the New Deal government, uh, and I see that a little similarly. I'm not, you know, Joe Biden is not FDR, uh, nor was Barack Obama Woodrow Wilson, but I still, nonetheless, see those echoes. So I actually am relatively confident in a good. In, I'm relatively confident a good transition. I see most of what's happening as a sideshow. I do think it's a, It could be a challenge for some of the. Um, could be a challenge for some of the positions. To really hit the ground running, but again, that'll be offer will offer uh, offer Biden. Uh, well, I will call it Obama. Uh, offer Biden, maybe even an extended honeymoon period. He'll have an additional days saying, "Well, we're still still gearing up with blank because we weren't handed our notebooks until a few days ago." That said, uh, the the bigger worry, with that in mind, the bigger worry I have is the one that you said, not just about militias. But the one we brought up that the biggest resistance that Biden will face is, uh, is I think, not the inability to harness the levers of the federal government. I think that they will have the people who can do that. The thing I am worried about is the still extant, still ravenous, right-wing communications apparatus and protest apparatus that will try to uh, throw Rhetoric, or even bodies, on the gears of making sure that collective action can work, making sure the government can work, making sure that a vaccine response can work, making sure that mask orders can work, in order to save hundreds of thousands of people. That is my bigger concern. That various mini atlases will try to shrug, will try to, will try to block uh, Joe Biden's success. Uh, maybe, maybe they won't be quite as motivated because he's not a black man, and that race won't be quite as uh, palpable a motivation, but I still worry about you know some faux tea party uh, tea party announcement, which gets me to a topic that I'm going to do a hard pivot to. Somebody who <laughs> just said they viewed the tea party, as a um, unless you have something else on the transition Dan. you have something on the transition because well, I, I to well
0: I, I don't want to i don't want to interrupt your chain of thought so you don't lose it but but what you have just said does make me want to say some things so shall i do it now or you want to go ahead and finish you your go thought ahead. well go ahead. i agree that we we can be encouraged that there is going to be a significant competence in the biden the Biden transition people. The fact that they recognize somebody like Nick Blosser is a good one to grab is, is an example. And uh, perhaps the best example when Michelle Flournoy and Tony Blinken, who held significant posts in the Obama administration, formed a consulting company and entered into a long-term lease of office space In the lease was written that if they were invited to join, to take a government position, the lease could be canceled without penalty. And Michel Flournoy, for example, is widely, widely speculated as the Secretary of Defense, or if not the Secretary of Defense, at least somebody high up in the DOJ. That is a great example. And it is it is true that we can feel encouraged by the competence on the biden side but the risk the terrible risk is the longer there's no access to information the longer there is no cooperation the the biden folks can come in not knowing not only not knowing what uh, what fires are actually burning in the agencies they are taking over, but what fires are smoldering and are liable to break out at any moment because they simply haven't been told. And we we talked about COVID this morning. The real risk that because there is not a seamless transfer of responsibility for the dissemination of the vaccine that people will actually die because there was not cooperation. There's a real risk of that. Go ahead with what you were about to say. I,
1: the part the, that I, the pivot I want to do is that I do, again, my greater, my greater fear is the, uh, is my greater, greater concern are, you know, Fox News and Breitbart trumped up, uh, uh, and, and, heck, uh, social media bot uh, trumped up sort of resistance cells. And what are they resisting? That they'll resist trying to save lives. And the uh, and that gets me to a comment on the Tea Party, right? So the Tea Party was, uh, and they called themselves teabaggers. And had there actually if there actually were a liberal media in this country, they would have kept calling them teabaggers and would have, wouldn't have let them uh, co-opt a critical piece of American history to again cover selfishness and cruelty by a veneer of freedom. Uh, the uh, the thing that I noticed though is over the weekend. I think a lot of people probably noticed. Was Charles Koch and his interview with the Wall Street Journal? Yeah, when he, he's having second thoughts. <laughs> when and he resisted, but but I want everybody to calm down a little bit, okay? That when everybody's like, "Oh, I guess he's changed his mind." That's not how I view it. I see. I think now he does want to distance himself from a losing president. I think he does want to distance himself from the uh, from Donald Trump, who's going to go in history. Uh, go down history as as the worst president of all time. I think he does want to distance himself from someone who has now culturally been defined as a villain with the exception, I recognize 70 million people voted for him, uh, but that guy is a historical villain and Charles Koch doesn't want to be a historical villain. Uh, He wants to be the hero of his own story and the hero of a story that he crafts. Uh, He is not changing his view. He merely wants there to be a a bipartisan consensus around his view. Well, guess what? So do I, except I want there to be a bipartisan consensus around my view, and I think that's true of a lot of people with views. So the fact that the Wall Street Journal wants to say, oh, I'm so sorry for participating in dividing the country, he did say he thought the Tea Party was a mistake or you know, maybe it was ineffective. I forget the, the adjective that he used. But that was my thoughts. I don't know if you had a reaction, Dad, to the Charles Koch uh, Wall Street Journal walk and talk.
0: Well, I, I totally agree that he is not changing his view about who should really run the country. He thinks that he and people like him should really run the country. He would he would just like to have support, more visible support from the other side of the aisle. Before we leave election stuff, just want to mention, I find it interesting that state of Washington sex ed measure that went to the voters, Measure 90 passed by a more than 16% margin, and polls show that folks who classified themselves as nuns when asked what religion they associated themselves with were somewhere between 35 and 45% margin supporting of it. So the, uh, the religious conservatives lost on that one, and that's a good thing.
1: Well, that some other local news. Peter Courtney, uh, local political news. Peter Courtney has won reelection to, or at least renomination to be Senate President. They'll have to wait until the session starts for him to get actually elected Senate President. And how That'll is be his tenth term? That's a record. He's already been in thirty-six years. That too, he is setting a record. Uh, and uh, Sarah Gelser being named Whip. James Manning being named. Uh, pro tem or at least nominated pro tem again they have to go to the floor to get to get voted on it looked you know last last session it looked like when there was a big push around around uh, harassment and kind of under the guise of under the guise of the me too movement and there are many people who were rattling uh, sabers as though it was going to be the end of peter courtney he was no longer to be senate president well it looks like he weathered that it looks like he's going to be senate president again
0: I, I would say so. And while we're talking about legislative leadership, Janelle Bynum is trying to replace Tina Kotek as speaker. And I guess that that vote's gonna happen today, isn't
1: it? Doesn't it? I think it? so, yeah. I, I, just I think te- I the just House text caucus the meets mind. today. Yeah, and, uh, and, and I, I, I have a source on this. Uh, I guess more than, uh, yeah, I guess I'm directly uh, to talk to a, a source on this. Uh, so I have some information. The uh, the estimation that I got was that, uh, that Geno Bynum probably didn't have the votes to get um, probably didn't have the votes to be to to oust Tina, but that there's a question about whether uh, there is whether Tina will have the votes to get a majority. Right, so if there are 36 or 37 Democrats who are in the caucus and that there there's two votes, right? So the first vote is, who is your first choice to be, uh, who's your first choice within the caucus to be speaker? But then the real vote, or we can call it the second vote, happens on the floor, when everybody votes for, in fact, who will be speaker, and Republicans get to vote too. And typically, there is a commitment to say, okay, well, whoever gets the most votes. Let's say there's 37 Democrats, 36 Democrats, uh, then let's say, as long as you have 31 of those Democrats all supporting Tina Kotek, all, all having Tina Kotek as their first choice, well, you just head to the floor, and those 31 people supporting Kotek pick her as speaker. But let's say Janelle Biden gets eight votes. Let's say Tina Kotek has, you know, 29 or 26 Democrats to her, and let's say the others aren't prepared. To commit to having her as their speaker when they go to the floor, uh, then you could end up with a floor fight over the speaker gavel. You could end up with trying to figure out some compromise. This happened back in the day when Yi uh, withheld her vote uh, on and wouldn't let uh, wouldn't vote for Bill Bradbury uh, to be speaker, uh, and was demanding some new position. Uh, until finally, I think it was Len Hannon who was going to cross the aisle uh, and 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 just to, to end it because I think it took it, was, it took some number of days or weeks. I forget how long it was uh, in order for there to be you know they needed to finally organize the caucus and Len Hannon was going to cross over that reduced Maye's uh, leverage. Maye was a conservative Democrat uh, and a compromise was reached and bill bradbury became uh you know got the got the speaker's gavel so there's still i think here there was i don't think there is a a great risk of don't you know i don't think there's any great risk of republican speakers anything like that but could there be a compromise candidate could there be somebody who emerged as speaker uh after some negotiations i still think tina kotex probably got the votes uh but that's the dynamic that people are watching for
0: and of course, if they did, if that scenario did develop, I would doubt that Janelle Bynum would be the most likely compromise choice. And we can speculate who might that be. But but Oregon has a, a long history of that kind of thing. For for several years, the Republican Party controlled the, speak, the, president, the seat of the president of the Senate because two. Senators elected as Democrats, one from, well, both, both from Southern Oregon, one from uh, Grants Pass, and the other from Klamath Falls, voted with the Republicans, and so they were given the, he, he was given the presidentship, and then Burns, John Burns, did the same thing uh, a few years later, so th- there's a history for that.
1: I find the I find the Peter Courtney history so interesting because it goes back to a broken promise all of this goes back to a broken promise I said and it's so fascinating uh, how, uh, how that works and I guess that examples of that are riddled throughout political history of where of where how you know being a strategic scoundrel as long as you aren't effectively drummed out, Uh, by the, by people reacting to press, right? As long as you just pretend the press doesn't exist, potentially uh, the, uh, how, how that probably is in the, in the background of so many, uh, so many rides of political power, but Peter Courtney became Senate president based on an agreement that he broke with Kate Brown. And that agreement was that he would be uh, he would be a placeholder Senate President, when there was a when there was a tie in the state Senate, and that when Democrats got the majority, then he would step aside for Kate Brown. Democrats got the majority, and he didn't step aside. He <laughs> he, he, he decided that his thought was, well, my I guess my definition of that is, if I don't have the votes, I won't be the Senate President. If I do have the votes, I will be Senate President. And, and, and he had the votes, so he stayed Senate President.
0: And he'd he'd grown to like having two offices. Because the Senate President has yeah, two offices,
1: and, yeah, and now he's got a bigger staff and more power, you know. And so now he's got, now he's now he will have been Senate President, assuming he finishes his term in good health. He will have been Senate President for twenty years, <laughs> uh, which is quite a long time. Another one that, uh, and and I, I, want to I, bring
0: I, 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 I would I would like to point out that you and I had. Some influence in his staying in the Senate, because I think a good case can be made. Had it not been for the canvassing that the bus project did for his election, back in when was it? Uh,
1: now it was a close race.
0: Yeah, it was a close race that he would not have been reelected.
1: Yeah, no, to, back in two thousand two, back two thousand two, that was uh, that was viewed as yeah, that was one of the closest state Senate races in the country. He. Got up after that election, and you know, gave a bunch of credit to the young people who helped out, saying, "Oh, you guys changed. You all changed Oregon history." And 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 appreciated those words. Uh, and uh, and I remember Chris Garrett was among the audience that that heard that. One of the people that helped him out. One of the people that canvassed. And Chris Garrett now on the Oregon Supreme Court. And well, I'm here talking to you. So <laughs> he had uh, the nightmare elks. That. Turf at a Proud Boys rally in Salem on Saturday. Uh, Oregon State police are on alert after poachers. I don't know if you heard about this poaching stuff. That's pretty yucky. Why people poaching? A decapitated black bears. That's horrible.
0: Okay. Well, I have some state and local stuff that I would like to talk about. First, for those of you who were listening a few weeks ago, we had a wonderful interview with Kamala Adams at Mimi's Teas. The, the local company that makes T-shirts that, because of George Floyd, really, saw her business take off, has just received a $25,000 grant from the National Women's Soccer League, which is compliments, Kamala, compliment to Mimi's. Great Northern Resources is suing the state Actually, state agency and the private company contingency to administer the black relief fund, which was granted by the legislature a few weeks ago. They say it's going to cost them $200,000, and they're claiming it's unconstitutionally, it's racially, it's racial preference. And the defense of that is to show that, in fact, the black Business, businesses have suffered measurably more than white-owned businesses. So that's a case for us to keep our eye on. Portland is considering a carbon tax. Again, that's something for us to keep our eye on. Tr- several tribes and environmental groups and fisher, fishing folk are suing the Winchester Dam Water District in, on the North Compuqua River saying that they have allowed the dam to so deteriorate, and especially the fish patch so deteriorate, that the coho salmon population is seriously endangered. The dam is 130 years old. And it hasn't produced any power for many years. All it's good for right now is to provide a place for people to water ski. And, and I'm inclined to think that it, it, it might be okay to say goodbye to the Winchester Dam. There's going to be a sweep of Laurelhurst Park, I guess later this week, to move the campers out of Laurelhurst Park. And, and that that just underlines the problem that we've got what do you do with people who don't have a place to live they need to have a place where they can go where do you move them what uh, if you if you that if,
1: mansion that, that's a that's a that's a somewhat clumsy segue potentially but you know that what is it the anna oh what's the name of the, the name of the house the big mansion on 30th northeast 30th that where the, where the yoga facility was for a while, where the movement center was for a while, 128 room mansion, that's being converted into, that's being converted into affordable housing, looks it like. looks like there's a plan, uh, looks like there's a big plan to turn that into a new, in a new facility, and that, that's actually pretty, pretty close by, uh, it won't, it, it'll still, it, that doesn't, won't serve the homeless, it's still for, but it will serve people with, who are in 30% of the median and 60% the median income. So it will be truly affordable uh, and publicly funded housing.
0: That's a good segue. And while we're talking about finding a place to live, if you're homeless, I would suggest you not plan to move into a cave in the Deschutes National Forest, something like 700 caves in the National Forest. And they are getting really strict about no pooping. There shall be no more pooping in the caves in the The Chutes National Forest. Is it about time for Straw in the Wind, do you think? Do we have Tim yet? We don't have Tim yet, so we better keep talking. Uh, Shamir Fagan, who is going to be our Secretary of State come January, has said that she is going to listen to Mr. Trout, who was fired by Bev Clarno, the current Secretary of State, because he is saying that there are serious problems with the registration system and the computer system being used by Oregon elections points out that the computer system being used is no longer supported so if it goes down where do you go for help
1: That that's something I want to talk about let's go on do that it. And, and, but this was a um, uh, this was a, you know, a little bit of a bombshell but I got a little more uh, I got a little more data so yeah, it was Steve Trout was it Steve Trout, uh, the uh, the elections director? Yeah, Stephen Trout, uh, who said that he, he uh, that he was out and said that the um, he was fired by uh, fired a text message after he pointed out the issues with the aging and vulnerable technology for running elections, and Clarno fired him. Uh, and the uh, uh, what's interesting. Was I was talking to somebody who's the head of the League of Women Voters, and who was telling me that uh, they had been requ- they have been requesting updates to the elections computer system now uh, for years, and that Stephen Trout had not been uh, had not been showing any signs of helping, had not been showing any signs of pushing for the legislature to fund it. One of the challenges this gets back to there, there's a number of challenges in doing compu- state computer systems and one is is they end up being really expensive right and and nobody wants to spend that money and the other is it also means retraining folks and very often what happens and this is a dynamic piece that sh- people should understand here's a little bit of the sausage that it that expenditure that multi-million dollar expenditure for a new computer system is usually up against some other expenditure and that other expenditure is usually something that can generate votes. That other expenditure is usually something like, you know, benefits and wages or and maybe more likely additional personnel uh, for the workforce, the unionized workforce that is in state government. And those folks will have a lobbyist. And that lobbyist will be saying, hey, let's make sure that you do approve for the people and not necessarily for the computer. Uh, the IRS, it's not the IRS, it's the Oregon Department of Revenue. Oregon Department of Revenue had this thing. They've been asking for the computer system for a long time, uh, but then, but the speaker, and in fact, it ended up in the in the ending of the career of the head of the depart, Oregon Department of Revenue, because she kept on pushing for a new computer system, and the speaker kept on saying. Then Dave Hunt kept saying, "No, we want to fund workers, and we want to." And he had a good argument. His argument was, "No, we want those workers who will actually collect revenue." Uh, if you get more, more collection agents, more Department of Revenue staff who are calling people to get their tax bills current, then that will actually generate more money for state government. And this was at a time we were dealing with the Great Recession, and there needed to be a – and, and there, was, there was a real priority for, uh, for, for that revenue. And so there was big support among a lot of us for, to say, yeah, let's prioritize spending the kind of money that will make us money. Rather than just the kind of money that will yield and the head of the department revenues, say, well, let's let's get more voluntary compliance by having a better computer system. So there are really fraud. There's technical issues, and there are basic budget issues. There are also challenges. Well, do you have? You don't often have the computer expertise within the state government. This is one of the things that I think should change, and I think there should be uh, greater recruitment of technical expertise, not only to outsource the development of that stuff, but actually having coding and computer expertise within the state government. I think that's something we should have been working on for the last 25 years. Because think about how many careers, from Eric Stan in the Water Bureau, to Jane Cease in the Department of Motor Vehicles, to John Kitsaber and Kara Oregon, how many careers have been impacted, how many political careers even have been ended? Uh, either directly or, or or somewhat impacted by or or somewhat related to the failings and challenges of computer systems, and one of those elements, of course, is the politics of funding and the politics of those alternative routes for the or the alternative repositories for that money. Anyhow, I will bet we have Tim now, but that's the response. we do. That's we, the thing I wanted. To offer.
0: We do have Tim now, so I am going to quickly give my straw in the wind. Actually, Make I have two straw. straws in the wind. In the, wind. the first that is really scary, doctors and nurses all over the country are taking early retirement because they are just stressed out with COVID and, and what COVID is doing everywhere. But the other one, a Anitra in the Wind, Kim Ung, a woman, has been named the general manager of the Miami Marlins the first female general manager in professional sports in America. Hey, my compliment to Kim. Mm.
1: Well, Dad, that is a big one, and it's we've done it one more time.
0: We have indeed, and we'll be back on Monday. Love you, lad.
1: Love you, Pop.